Amen. 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 What's up? Y'all all right? Good, 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 good. Well, welcome again to our afternoon gathering um, here at Epiphany Fellowship. Um, today, we are going to take a break from our Ephesian series where we've been going line upon line, precept upon precept um, through, Lord, uh, through the Lord's word um, as he spoke through Paul, the apostle in Ephesians. Today, we're going to do a state of the church address, which we do really every year to kind of from a visionary and directional standpoint to kind of give you um, kind of like a really more, more so an air assault picture um, of things versus a ground attack. Sometimes you can get so in the grime of being a grunt on the ground and infantry for God that you and, and you're in, in the war and experiencing the war. You know, my father was in World War II and the Korean War. He was in two wars. Um, he was shot in both of them, lost a kidney, Purple Heart, Buffalo Soldier, 91st Infantry, 24th Regiment. Um, so he was one of them dudes that had a knife right here, a, a patch of grenades going across him, a big old backpack on, um, canteen on his side with some water in it, and um, some med basic medical supplies, uh, 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 a gun, and he had to carry a mortar because he dropped mortars, so he had to know geometry. Amen with a fourth grade education. And one of the things that he would tell me about, he says, son, when you're in the infantry, um, it's a monster. And you don't know what's going on because there's so many sounds around you that it's very, very difficult to see. But he said, if you're up in the B-1 bomber, the big old joint with the, that you know, that they, they drop like 90 bombs and napalm up out of it. He said, you can see a bird's eye view of the battle. Well, what we want to do today is we want to do a bird's eye view of the battle, amen? So I want you to turn. We're going to be in the Bible, though. We're not going to just be talking about stuff. You know, here, we like the scriptures. Amen? So turn over to Haggai. Haggai chapter 1. The book of Haggai. The book of Haggai. Very, very important stuff for us as we zoom in. And I believe God's going to zoom lens us. God's going to zoom lens us as we get a biblical word, uh, 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 bird's eye view on what God's up to and what God, we don't have yearly themes here. I and mean, we're not against those. Like in 2011, we're going to live like we're going to heaven. You know what I'm saying? We, we try to live off of vision, uh, not rhyming with the year. So, so um, because the Bible says that people without vision are unrestrained. In other words, if you don't have biblical direction, it, it's no telling what you would do. Amen, somebody. So, 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 so Haggai chapter one, if you ain't there yet, fam, all you got to do is go to the New Testament, go to Matthew, and then walk back three, four books, plat out, you there. All right. Verse one, you there, amen? amen? Amen. Verse one, it says, in the year, the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month on the first, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to uh, Joshua, the son of Jehazadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people, underline these people. That's hilarious. Watch out when God call you these people. Say, the time has not yet come. To rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while, while this house or my house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, say consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink but you never have your field. You clothe yourselves, but no, no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. It's a lot of that. Chapter 2, verse 7. And I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I, say I, I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. 
today um, we're walking in this and we're just going to have one point, one point, one point only. Changed people change the world. Changed people change the world. Many times in our life we, we, we experience people that want to and even we ourselves want things different, want there to be change in the world. And it's good to have some type of ambition about changing the world. I think that's the will of God for the world to be changed. And ultimately, he's going to do that very forcefully and very sovereignly in all of his justice and his mercy. However, in the meanwhile, he has called the people of God to be change agents. And as they are change agents to change the world, one of the things that we see biblically is that God's first place of change is the heart of human beings. You, you can't bring to fruition something that hasn't been brought to fruition in your life on some level. And so, and so Haggai uh, 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 is prophesying during the post-exilic period, a time in which uh, the, the children of, of Israel, i.e. Judah specifically, um, they were given a time of discipline where back in Jeremiah chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, verses 3 through 10. I got my calling to ministry up out of that. And uh, uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 14, um, we see that God is calling his people to represent them, but w w represent him. But what had happened is, is they began living substandard uh, 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 biblical living. And because they began living substandard biblical living, they began to try to resource themselves outside of God's means of grace. Meaning God's means of grace are the streams of a life that he has set up to flow, uh, flow blessing to our heart, blessing to our soul, and transformation for it. And he says, you hew for yourself cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water at all. But he says, but I, I am the fountain of living water. You're trying to catch water, but I am water. And so, and, so, and so God is, is talking to his people, and he began uh, to let Jeremiah know, this is a hurting, this, this is hard. There ain't nobody going to listen to you, fam. That's a rugged ministry. But I want you to preach like they're going to listen. And, and, and so, and so, and so, and so the, of course, they did not listen, and God sent them into captivity. They went into, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Big Nebi came in and, ran, and, 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 and wrecked shop up on Jerusalem and destroyed the gorgeous temple that David had prepared and Solomon um, had built um, um, based on uh, uh, First Chronicles uh, chapter 6. And so in light of that reality, they went into captivity because they worshiped everything that God created and didn't worship the living God. They stopped trusting God. They stopped believing God. They stopped walking with God. They started wanting to be more like the nations around them rather than being the distinct nation that God had called them to be. And so they go through captivity and they're in Babylon. And then they go from Babylon over to Neo-Persia where Cyrus came in and wrecked shop on Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And from there, uh, Darius took over. And when Darius took over, based on verse 1, we will see that he got laid on Darius' heart to let God's people out of captivity. Their captivity was God disciplining every, every believer that was in him in order to turn them back towards him. So there were three waves that left, uh, Zerubbabel led, uh, led an entourage, um, uh, uh, Nehemiah led an entourage, and Ezra led an entourage. But m many of the people of God came, uh, came back, but it was only a remnant because many stayed because they wanted to stay in captivity because they got comfort in captivity and didn't want to go to where God wanted them to go. Some, sounds familiar? <laughs> and so here... It's been 14 years based on Ezra chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, around 11th verse starting, and then down to verse 16. And we see there that they started building the temple, and they only built the foundation, then they got lazy, and then just got a curtain and some twigs and made a tabernacle going backwards. And so, the, and so God jams them up. Because God is like, it's been 14 years, and the center of worship has not been reestablished. And so what happens is God gets frustrated with his people and tells them, listen, you're more concerned about your personal preferences than my biblical principles. And so, and so what they began to do is they, 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 it said they had paneled houses. You know, you understand what a panel house is. It'd be our equivalent of having an MTV Cribs type, John. You know what I'm saying? 
where they had, you know what I'm saying, you know, a fly shutters, you know, it had been like granite counters in the crib, you know what I'm saying? Um, they would have had, um, they would have chariots with spinners on them. I mean, it would have been a nice spot. TVs, flat screens coming out by the sink, you know, by the bed, and you're like, come on in, MTV, man, welcome to my crib. Fish tanks and carrying on, built into the walls. I mean, they had fly cribs, and God says, how is it that your stuff look nice? And you've invested in you, but there's been really no investment in my kingdom. And so what he began to do is he says, reason why there's no kingdom investment is because you want me to build life around you versus you building your life around me. And many of us are the same way. Uh, we, we, want, we want everything to be built around us. We want everything on our terms. We have a divine Santa Claus list for God and God's people. And if God's people and God doesn't listen to us, then we fall back until he's willing to submit to our authority. When I heard that he was the authority, that he was the glory, that he was the power, that he was dominion forever and ever. However, we want, dom we want functional dominion over Yahweh. And so what God does, I like God real lot, a whole lot because he does something smashing to me. He says, all right, know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start not letting stuff work out for you. <laughs> he said, I'm going to just have an angel snip the bottom of your pocket so that as you're on your grind, you're doing your thing, you're on your grind, right? You're grinding and carrying on entrepreneur, right? Out there starting labels and doing the mixtapes and everything. He said, I'm going to stop y'all right now. And I'm going to make sure that nobody buys anything, no record label signs you, none of that. I'm going to close doors. That you, and, and, and God starts closing doors on the people. Cats start getting hungry, working all these hours, and then pay, they didn't make payroll. That's what the text says. Because God will do whatever he will to rebuild your life so that it reflects him being centered. God is not concerned with you being a connoisseur of your own desires. Because many of us live our lives for us. And God says, how dare you? And so he loves us enough in his love to interrupt us, to challenge us, and to shut up stuff. And what he's trying to do, listen, what he's trying to do is get your attention. To get you back, turning your face. He says, consider your ways. Say, consider your ways. Consider your ways there means to look at your heart. He says, I want you to look at your list. I want you to look at what you're building your life around. And I want you to stare into it. And I want you to compare it to what I say. He says, what, does, does, does what you're building your life around equal me? And so he says, consider your ways. He says it three times throughout the book because he's talking about, the, he, notice he says ways, plural, not way. Because why? Broad is the way that leads to death, but narrow is the way that leads to life. Then he goes down and he does something as, as he called them to repentance. When God says, consider your ways, he's calling you to change your mind about him and your life and turn towards him. Then he says in verse 13, he says, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. I like when God says that. And this is what he says. He says, and the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, stirred up the spirit of Joshua, stirred up the spirit of all the remnant, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord. So now... God has stirred them up to actually begin rebuilding their lives from the inside out. Now, in order to build the temple, everything flowed from the temple. If you look back at 1 Chronicles chapter 6, what you will begin seeing is first, the, first we saw the first temple um, was actually an a altar back in Genesis 12:8. Then we see that in Exodus, post the um, people, children of Israel coming out, it became a tabernacle of curtains. Then we saw in, in First Chronicles uh, that it became a temple or a place of worship uh, uh, that, that was built with a more sturdy look. And it was a fly-looking place, you know what I'm saying? Pomegranates dipped in gold, you know, wood. Um, I mean, they had Lebanese wood, just hardwood floors all through the joint. And then, um, then they, had, uh, they painted it over with gold, just melted the gold, the smelting, and, and, and wiped that whole thing down and make it look real nice like. 
And so right here, God is calling them to rebuild the temple. In other words, I want you to rebuild your life from the inside out so that you can point to the, me being the center of the community, the being center of your life so that you're not trying to build your life, but you're pointing to the one and you're repenting before the one and you're committing yourself to the one who's able to rebuild your life for real, for real. And then we see the word stir there. Say stir. That's a good word there because that word in the Hebrew means to make something catch on fire. <laughs> he says he stirred up their hearts, meaning he lit them with a fire. See, I, when God is the motivator, the sovereign motivator of a changed heart, he, when, when, when repented, see, they repented. When they repented, God lit their hearts up. Because I like when God, God does stuff beautifully. Whenever he snatches something from your life, he replaces it with something better. And so he snatched from their heart their wickedness. He snatched from their heart their own personal preferences and fired up their heart to do what he had called them to do. In other words, God, you're priority in my life. That's a word that we all need to hear. It goes even, the, the word here for stirred up even points over to Hebrews chapter 10, um, verse uh, 24, where it says, Stir, spur one another along to love and good deeds. That word is used here in the, in, in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible to, to, to mean to, 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 to make someone angry righteously. In other words, when the Christians in, in, in Hebrews 10 got together, we were supposed to gather together, and when we got in community gatherings, because of how God was hitting us up mutually through the one another's, we set each other's hearts on fire, and we became righteously angry about what hasn't transformed in the world. And when we, when we, when we, get, when we gather and, 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 we, and we get like that, we say, all right, it's time to dip, it's time to scatter, and now not be angry at the world, but through loving the world, being angry about the fact that God isn't getting maximum glory in the, in the culture. And therefore, we go out there motivated by the right things, centered on the right things, transformed by the right things. And then all of a sudden, the world is different, not because we're just going doing social justice, but because God has done justice in our heart through Jesus Christ, transforming and washing us with his blood. <laughs> so he does, he does a work on them, fam. He, he does a work on them. But, but whenever God does a work on you, he doesn't just want you to be excited about your individual spiritual vitality because you can become an ingrown toenail in your heart. And so what God says is now what I've done for you, what I've done in your life, I want to represent it. Y'all don't think it's in the text. Go over to chapter 2, verse 7. He says, I will shake the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory. Now, you got to understand, you know, when you look at verse 3, it said, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not nothing in your eyes? You got to remember back in Ezra chapter 3 that we mentioned earlier, the young bucks put on all their praise and worship gear. You know, and, and the band was out, you know, the trumpets and the saxophones. They had saxophones back in, but walk with me. Um, you know, and, and, and they're playing power and majesty praise so I can don't, don't, doing that thing up. And the old heads looking at the temple foundation. They're like, what are these young folk building? It doesn't look like Solomon's temple. The foundation, they saw the foundation and knew that it wasn't going to be as massive. And they looked in the treasury and saw that the level of resources that was provided through Solomon by God was not the same in comparison. But God says, I own everything. And he says, I'm going to shake up places that you didn't know about and provide. But he says, but I'm not going to provide as much. He says, I'm not trying to make this temple look like that temple. He says, because, he says, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. Now, the glory won't be in the silver and gold and in the diamonds and the rubies and the sapphires and the onyx. It's not going to be in that because if you remember the old temple based on 1 Chronicles chapter 7, um, they were slaying 
hundreds of hundreds of rams and lambs. And, 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 and the place outside of the outer court was bloody. They had a step altar that centered on the middle and an altar was on top of it where the priests would slay. And all of the priests were out there slaying lambs. I mean, it was the height of, Ju uh, 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 of Judaism. It was the height of the kingdom. But they're in a time where stuff doesn't look like that. They're in a grimy context. The walls are broken down. The city's in turmoil. And people said, man, I'd rather my crib be nice than the city be changed. So God says, nah, fam, I ain't doing this for you. He says, because the latter glory of this house, he said, when I glorify myself in the way I'm, I'm not changing my glory, but I'm changing how people view it. Therefore, I'm using less to do more. <laughs> he said, I'm going to get, so you got to remember, when, back in 1 Chronicles 7, it says that the glory cloud of the Lord filled the temple of Shekinah to the point where they couldn't see. It was smoky and ashy all in that place and bloody. And people are worshiping God, blessing his name, honoring him in the Aramaic and the Hebrew tongue. And guess what happened? And the, and the Bible says that the priests dropped their garments, dropped their stuff, and they couldn't stand to minister. And what they began to do is instead of ministering, they started worshiping because God's glory had shown up. And they said, "We, we listen, I, oh, bless the, and you see all of the high priests to the smallest of priests. The Levites are running. Uh, the, the priests are running. Poor people are running. Rich people are running and dancing and blessing the living God. And they remembered that from Tanakh. They remembered and they said, that's not here. God says, I'm not trying to redo that. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to make my glory show up better in these days than I did in those days. And it won't be event-based, momentary glory it will be a lasting, everlasting glory that will never fade. But guess what? In Ezra chapter 10, the Bible says in the post-exilic period that the glory of the Lord never came back like that. Never did. Then about 402 years later, two parents showed up with two turtle doves and some pigeons. A poor offering. And, and, and there was a toddler walking in there probably just saying Abba. Able to say Tanakh, probably at this point. Able probably to say Yahweh, and he's probably repeating everything his parents are saying, and he probably just learned to walk about a year ago. And the Bible says that they took him in the temple that Herod had redid, but they didn't know who he was because the Bible says in the beginning was the Word. Somebody ought to hear me. And the Word was, was, with, was with God, and the Word was God, and then the Word became flesh and skaneod among us. Skaneo, the Hebrew word, stay with me, the Greek word there, stay with me, means to pitch a tent. <laughs> so, so, so in other words, God himself had took all of who he is in God the Son and placed it in an amoeba or a zygote or a seed and this little young buck walking into the temple and it says, and we beheld his glory, glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so when he came into the temple, the glory returned, but it didn't return gloriously. Little did they know that this young buck was going to die for the nations and give his life, hallelujah, as a ransom for many and create a group of people that wouldn't build houses of worship to the glory of man, but would now the people of God would be actually the house of God and that the glory of God will rest upon their hearts and the glory of God would rest upon their souls and everywhere they went and when they gathered and everywhere they walked, the glory of God will be tabernacled and messed up people, but it will stay there. It won't leave because of the blood of Jesus. And then he says, and in this place, I'll give you shalom. <laughs> and so we see that shalom means restitching creation back to God's original design with an upgrade. <sighs> God never meant your life to be regular. But you got to see what supernatural is versus natural. 
Many of you are seeking a natural life, not a supernatural life. And so the reason why God called us here is to see culturally relevant ministry happen. Culturally relevant ministry doesn't mean being cool. It means God gets glory and people experience his peace. If, if people aren't experiencing peace, it's irrelevant. It can be an old, run-down Baptist church with big hats and white outfits. And God can maximize that with dr stuff dripping out of the ceiling. And there can be shalom and transformation there. God doesn't look at aesthetics. He develops from the inside out in ways that we could never imagine. But he wants to start with you. But as he transforms you, you're not made for you. And so he's called us to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to transform it. Not through complaining about the trash. Not through complaining about how many single moms there is and how many abortions there are. But he called us here to be change agents. And while you're running through your life, seeking your own path, Jesus Christ has given you a path. I got to get to this. But I tell you, man, this is going to be a great time as God continues to develop and transform us to be city transformers and plant churches and send missionaries to the world and see lives changed from all the way from regular little young bucks on the block. I was, we was coming in on Thursday to the elders meeting and my little buddy, Anthony, they were standing up on top of the phone tower next door, stomping on it and playing some type of game. And I said, Anthony, is that you? He was like 10 of them out there. I said, Ant, he said, you over there? He said, no. <laughs> it was dark over there. And they all, you know how we do. We start booking. We start running. Anthony and we dived off the joint over the fence. I mean, I don't see how they do it. Cat is like this tall. Jumps over the joint like Spider-Man and begins running. I said, Ed, don't run. And he said, what is it, Pastor E? I said, come here. And I said, bring your boys over. And we started talking. Man. I said, yo, man. I said, don't run. Y'all good, man. Y'all can, y'all can like. Y'all can play on the yard all y'all want, man. Just, just don't, just don't play on this. All right? They were like, all right. And they said, and then the other young bucks was coming up, and we just got the chop, and I said, I got to go to meet, but we're going to talk some more. But what I began to see is the latter glory of God's house looks like us engaging those cats. Seeing young men without dads hear the gospel. Not just telling them to stop, stop, stop. But getting with them and, and chopping it up with them. Pouring into your life. Can you imagine young buck growing up going to temple with Jesus on his mind? Walking from the brownstone down the street. What's up, y'all? Talking to y'all. And you had a hand in his development through Jesus Christ. So that's what we're about. If you're about something else, you're going to struggle here. Because we want to, I got to, oh Lord, I got to get to this. But man, but this is what it hopefully is going to look like. This is our motto here. This is why we're here. To show off the glory of Christ where? Yeah. We're here to show off the glory of God. It's okay to show him off. To be a show off just as long as you're showing him off. So our first core value, we got to go through this. It's Christocentrism. Say Christocentrism. Yeah, Epiphany Fellowship seeks to stress the centrality of Jesus Christ and the uniqueness of him as both fully God and fully man in whom we worship and take our P's and Q's from. That's what we want to be like. Commitment. Say commitment. commitment. Epiphany Fellowship is committed to the teaching and being obedient to the biblical doctrine by making disciples through the power of the Holy Spirit in order to see Christ formed in the lives of the body. <laughs> community, say community. community. Yeah, don't get tired on me. <laughs> Epiphany Fellowship gathers in large and small gatherings for Bible study, preaching, teaching, prayer, encouragement, and accountability. Our desire is that people 
would do life together as well as scatter through the city to engage lost people with the truth of the gospel in a loving and truthful way. Conversions. Conversions. Yeah. What do we mean by this? Acts chapter 42, verse 47 said, And the Lord was adding to their numbers daily those who were being saved. We value people hearing the gospel through both life and lips. Won't believe in that. Well, I just live right, and I'm just going to show them the gospel. But Romans 10 says, how would they hear without somebody preaching to them? So you got to say something at some point. Amen. I was at this thing the other day. It was driving me nuts. People just talking about, I live, and people ask me. It don't work like that. It's both and, not either or. So we value them going from spiritual death to spiritual life, Colossians 1, 11 and 12. Once they are transformed by the gospel, that is hearing repentance of sin and the holiness of God and turning towards him and believing that Christ died for their sins in their place. <coughs> the gospel power, we <coughs> use various means of discipleship to serve them in growing from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. To seeing them grow from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. So from spiritual death to spiritual life, from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. That's the process. So culturally relevant ministry. So Epiphany Fellowship seeks to communicate the timeless truth of the word of God, the gospel in an ever-changing context without changing the content of the word of God. So we're looking at our four areas of ministry. <clears throat> four areas of ministry we have is community life, we have connections, worship creative arts, and stewardship. And these areas are going to play a role in how God uh, uh, continues to move us forward in the latter glory being greater than the former. We want to see some transformation. Amen? Amen. So we, all the elders, each elder has um, strategically, based on the vision of the church, have strategically within their areas developed a trajectory for us. I'm a visionary leader. Um, many of them are developing leaders. And then we have uh, a, a deacons and volunteers as managers of ministry. And so our, our life groups, or, or I mean, I'm sorry, all our community life ministries are geared to implement each other in one common goal, making healthy disciples. So through this, you're going to see, oops, um, uh, uh, majorly, these are the areas that we're looking at our life groups, 3130, man-to-man, -man, life coaching, uh, two become one. Life coaching will continue to meet needs, and we're going to begin opening up to the community. Life coaching is our counseling area. Um, also, 3130 has reorganized and man-to-man -to, -man to restart in March with an emphasis on biblical manhood for man-to-man, and of course, our 3130 is already going. Two Become One continues to grow. And so they're doing excellent at our premarital stuff. And so what we want to do is we got like 90% single people. Amen. So what we want to do is we want godly people to meet godly people. You don't have to go to eHarmony. You can come to church. <laughs> I will pray in the Holy Spirit right now. <laughs> and meet somebody. And it's okay to meet Christian people and to like them. Amen. And try to holler. You can. With some accountability, though. Oh, we, we got a nice little space prepared out back if you wild out. It's in the Bible. Beat up those. <laughs> it's in the Bible. My translation, though. Um, and so, and so we, we, we're cool with people meeting people. And them getting married, courting, amen, with a goal, though. Not just we going somewhere. We going out. We going out. Where y'all going? <laughs> Ain't going nowhere. Ain't got no goals, no visions, and no job. You got to get some vision. <laughs> amen. You can clap. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, man. Get you a J-O-B. Be on a financial trajectory. Got to have you some money in order to get you a honey. Amen. <laughs> Somebody ought to hear me up in here. If you knew, if you knew what I knew. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So we, we value that. So we know that this is going to be a courtship environment. But that don't mean you go from girl to girl. You don't go from man to man. You need to clearly state your motive. 
I'm going to park here for one second. Can I park? And, and you state your motive and tell some other dudes so that they can be in your grill if you wild out on homegirl. Amen, somebody. And then at some point soon, you start premarital counseling in order to see if you have what it takes based on the scriptures that God is working in you where you're mature enough to take on an additional person in your household. That's the trajectory we're on. So I'm, I'm willing to do 200 weddings. We'll just roll them out. We'll just bring all of y'all in together. Nope, y'all will be one another's bridesmaids, everything. We just go, you know, hit y'all all up and go at it. You know what I'm saying? All right? So life, but, but, but we want it to be done biblically and with purity and with integrity. Amen. So, so again, our life groups, this is the way we're gathering together. This is the way we're engaging one another. So it's going to be difficult to be here and get plugged in if you're not in a life group. So, so it's, not, it's not about your, but I would rather, we didn't ask you what you rather. We just told you God ain't building life around you. But if I preferred, well, this ain't the place for you. You prefer, preferring stuff. We're trying to get people to actually use God's means of grace in order to grow from spiritual to spiritual. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So we're going to be launching DNA group soon, and so we're real excited about that. Pastor Nyron Burke, we got, uh, first it was Pastor Larry. Let's give God a uh, hand praise for Pastor Larry. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's give God a hand praise for Pastor Nyron Burke. Yeah. Um, he's, uh, and he plays a role, and he's over all of our stewardship areas. And so that means that he develops ministry, help us to make sure that the vision is based on what comes in, that the finances meet the phase of vision that we're in, in order to do it. So he says we're healthy but challenged. <laughs> I like that. that, that word, that he just words stuff so well. So Epiphany, we don't have a lot of debt, okay? Uh, so, but we, we have a positive balance sheet at this point. So we're in the black right now. You need to give God some glory. You need to give God some glory. Amen, 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 amen. So Epiphany's growing and maturing congregation uh, will need to support the vision. So what we're looking at, you guys, is we need you because we're on external support also with 65% to full support. Inner city church plants in areas like this usually never, ever get to any level of self-support. So we're four years old and God has the 65% from the inside approximately 35% from the outside. And so what we're going to need to do is we're going to need more and more of God's people developing in their financial trajectory so that they are tithing and offering so that we can wean ourselves off of external support. As we wean ourselves off of external support, this ain't, you ain't giving so I can get a Bentley, okay? I don't even, I, I don't even touch money, okay? He, they, he's over all of that for us, so I ain't trying to get no Bentley, no new suit. Um, none of that. You know what I'm saying? Trying to be flossing some placal and telling you how you can get in and fleece you. We're not trying to fleece you, all right? We're trying to see the latter glory be greater than the former. Amen. Um, and so we have a great accountability process with our finances. So, uh, so, so the Lord, the gathering um, has increased by 29% in, in relation to how many people come. Um, we, we're excited about that. Um, we're about 450, right now. And so um, that's been great. And so... Um, Overall income has increased 7.2%, and so, but we need more staff support. One of the things that we're going to need heavy in this upcoming season as we begin our student ministries, which we're going to be talking about in a minute, we need Pastor Kurt to be on full-time staff in order to facilitate our Epiphany kids. We're going to talk about that in a second, but our Epiphany kids stuff and all that, and we need Pastor Nyron on staff. Amen. We need them full-time committed. Um, 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 to, 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 the, to the work of the Lord here so that we can uh, go to the next level because we're about to plant Epiphany Camden. And because, amen. And so that's one less full-time pastor on staff. So we need to be able to bring another full-time pastor on staff. So this stuff has purpose and direction in mind as we look at money. Um, so we don't just ask for money just to ask for money. It has biblical purpose to it. Now, we're challenged in some areas because we've grown numerically but we haven't grown exponentially financially. We've grown only two, uh, we've, we've grown only 2% financially. Because you know what happens when more people come, guess what, in, what's, guess what increases? Needs increase, right? Since needs increase, we're, we, uh, the finances didn't grow to meet the needs of the new people that are gathering. 
So what we need is we need several, we need several things in place. We need God uh, to begin helping us to reach and engage and see middle to upper class people beginning to come. Our college students staying here, some of you. We know all of you won't, but some of you saying, I, I believe God has called me to Philly, and I'm going to stay here. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to start a business. I'm going to create jobs. And what that does for God's kingdom is it helps us to be on a great financial trajectory so that we're able to be, be blessed and then guess what? Be a blessing. 20% of our internal giving goes back out. That's why we're giving to the general budget of Epiphany Camden $20,000 a year per year, okay, for the next three years. And then we'll reevaluate by then based on where we are and how many churches we can plant after that. But this is very, very important in relation to that. So what we want to do is we want to do more ministry, but it's going to take resources. Amen. So, um, last, last but not least, we, we saw that some of these were, some of our challenges already kind of said that. And so Pastor Nyron already laid out for us also um, how are we responding to the challenge. We live within our means. That means we don't, try, we don't get in a bunch of debt. We live in based on what God gives us so that we don't go out of our means. We don't get a credit card and spend money we ain't got. Amen. Amen. And so uh, we, had to, we had to actually cut some expenses, but I have to, because um, of my role as vision, one of my role is fundraising. And so I have to, we, we have what's called second-tier partners. Usually for the first three to five years of a church startup. Y'all chill tracking with me? Usually the first uh, uh, three to five years of a church startup they're, they're, they're helped by what we call anchor donors. We had one church give us $100,000. We had another church give us $120,000. Two or three churches did that. So over, uh, over the years, God blessed us the first three, uh, four to five years to have a million dollars come through here to do ministry. Amen? Now, what's important about that, though, what's, what's very, very important about that is now we have to begin, we, I have to raise uh, another a second tier partners for the next three years. And our goal is to be self-supported in three years. That's our goal. Okay, and so we're looking for partners, and we just had one jump on last week, praise the Lord, uh, for Portico Arlington. Portico Arlington jumped on board last week. I got uh, several meetings coming up in the next few weeks. Um, with several things. It's going to be crazy what the Lord's going to do, though, through his work. So we're excited about God's mercy and God's grace. So we had to cut some things, which is understandable, so that we can live within our means. And that's what we had to do in order to honor God by not, <coughs> by not, by not, um, by not um, living beyond our means. But one of the other things that we had to do also is um, our life groups have to be the center of how we care for people versus just coming to the center to make sure that that's done. So we want to develop more leaders, and we want to do ministry more creatively, more creatively, which God has blessed us to do. Now, Student Ministries, led by Pastor Kurt. Let's give God a big up for Pastor Kurt. Next fall, our after-school program is starting, so cats won't have to hang on the outside. We got a big old gym upstairs. Basketball courts, basketballs, everything. And they're gonna, we're going to start an after-school program with tutoring, mentoring, everything. And so with that in mind, we're also developing a youth night that's going to be bi-monthly. Uh, which is going to be great for us. We're going to have Bible study, and we're going to engage. We're going to have mentoring. We're going to have uh, live music the whole night in order to engage lost people in the community, lost young, 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 young cats, right? So that's going to be starting next month, um, and, 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 and so that's going to be great. And, and then we're going to also minister to the people who are coming here. We got some more, more salt and pepper with us now. You know what I'm saying? Amen. We got some salt and pepper gray heads up in the piece. And so, amen, praise God, hallelujah. Y'all got some teenagers, and we want to be a supplement, but not the main meal of their development. Um, however, in this community, because of the nature of our community, we have to be more than a supplement. We almost have to be the meal. And so, but our goal is not to remain there, but see manhood and womanhood so developed that God raises up people who are able for, to, to turn the church into the supplement instead of the main course in the spiritual lives of their children. Pastor Doug, our Connections pastor, um, is over uh, College Connect, so we're excited about everything that College Connect is working through, and we're expanding and developing new leaders. 
We have Cassie over our, our, our care calls for our follow-up and our visitors package. That's getting developed more. Uh, we have Sister Renata, soon to be Deaconess Renata. Uh, um, Ten-minute party. Ten-minute party. And, and, and we're excited about what God is doing with, with all the work under, under them. I mean, y'all don't realize, and we need more men involved in this. Uh, we do six monthly feedings, street feedings. So right on the block, we're doing eight ten-minute parties um, this year. There we go. Three hot breakfasts. People are hearing the gospel. People are being prayed for and cared for through these opportunities. And so we want to make sure that we work with them. And then we have in our back-to-school events that we're having, that we're going to be having. Soon-to-be Deaconess Stephanie Hillhouse um, is, um, is, is killing it on our hospitality. And she can cook like a mug, too, man. Good God Almighty. Oh, my God. So some of y'all may need to learn. You know, we may have to add some cooking classes to that Sister Hill house. You know, so that we talking about the men get jobs, you know. <laughs> if you burning oodles and noodles, you know there's a problem. <laughs> Ramen noodles getting burnt. Help us, Lord. Brother Concepts, he's running our um, point of connection, doing a great job at that. We're going to keep us with visibility at our bookstore. We're going to do book signings, excited about that. We're going to develop our blitzes more greatly. And then, finally, um, our worship and creative arts area. It's called, our team is called Doxology now. Leadership development. We're doing an album. Amen. Amen. That song... Um, Jesus, Our Dwelling Place was written by none other than Aaron Johnson, soon to be Deacon Aaron Johnson. Killing it, killing it, killing it, killing it. Sound area, technical development, whole nine. We're so proud of these guys. Dela Cruz, Ant, um, Sam, all of those guys that work on that. We bless God for them. Um, some, I don't know if some of y'all know this, but Dela Cruz, in order to be on time here, has slept here, him and Sam sometimes, in the building, to be here. And so we want to bless. Let's give God a hand praise for the brothers, man. Amen. Amen. We got to take this. I also want to give Sister Michelle Stewart a hand. Let me tell you why. Because she, she has done an un, a, a, a very, very disciplined. I know this is a little long today, but just bear with me. We're going to be done. But we just got to acknowledge God using folk, man. And Sister, uh, sister uh, uh, um, um, Michelle Stewart has been doing a phenomenal job with what she's been doing with children's ministry under the leadership of Pastor Kurt. Also, our drama area starting under uh, soon-to-be Deacon uh, Gesho um, uh, uh, Warwood. So we're excited about that. IT Media is going to be working on our branding. Whole nine is going to be online community. Going to be some great, 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 great things. Relentless dance team. We're going to be doing dance development, outreach with connections. Last but not least, and we're done. Pat out, right? Um, last but not least, a big picture is the elders have given me the green light in concert with all we're doing to start a ministry called Thriving. Thriving will be an international ministry, um, not to give me a platform, but to actually develop urban scholarship so that African-Americans and Latinos can contribute to academia as professors. Number two, we're looking to specifically engage African-American Latinos. I speak at a lot of events um, for church planners, and most of that is mostly white events, um, which I don't have a problem with. But one of the things my heart is burdened for is inner-city church planting among lost people groups, especially among African-Americans and Latinos. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be starting a church planting center right here. Pastor Doug was the guinea pig for that. And so since it worked out well, the elders gave me a green light. The elders gave us a green light for us to start a church planting center right here to be able to develop scholarship and, and, and to be able to do that type of thing in relation to developing guys. Because I, I was abnormal because I had to, and, and I'm going to close on this, I had to go out of my context to learn how to do everything. I had to go out of my context to go get my master's degree and learn in suburban churches and then uh, and go get my doctorate and then come back into the context and thaw out and then relearn how to contextualize all of, I had, I have, I, I mean, I'm, this is not the bright, but this is just to let you know, I had eight years of post-undergraduate education. But I learned it in a different environment. 
So, and, and so when I came back, I had to thaw out and relearn how to engage the urban context. So what we want to do is we want to replicate what Jesus did, not separate discipleship from missionality. Therefore, keeping African-Americans and Latinos in the urban context while they get urban theological education and be interns and residents full-time and be developed and plant them out and do ministry. We got more on it. I can keep going. I'm going to stop right here because I need to. And so um, we just want to bless God for his work. Let's put our hands together for the work of God. Amen. Work of God. So we're going to pray. We're going to pray. And we want you to pray about all this stuff. We want you to keep it lifted because it's so important. Keep our mission trips for our college students in prayer. Those who are going to be going on mission trips. We want to keep all of this stuff lifted in prayer. What's beautiful about this is, is we, we, we are able to do much more and beyond our years of development based on God's work, not merely us being cool and able to do something. It's because the latter glory will be greater than the former, and God uses lesser to do greater things through so that he can get the most glory out of it. Amen? Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity. So we pray and we praise you that you're wonderful and you're worthy to do work. So God, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we honor you and bless you that you who began a good work in us will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. And so God, we pray that you will complete your work in us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Why don't our men come? Fellas, come on and come. And we do communion every week. We're going to go ahead and do communion, which is what we use to culminate every gathering. Uh, because Jesus wanted us to do this often. And so what we want to do in relation to this is every week we celebrate them. So we welcome um, anyone, anyone who is in Christ, who trusted Christ as their Savior, uh, to participate in communion. But if you're not, if you're not in Christ, uh, um, you know, we're, we're not trying to single you out or treat you any kind of way. Um, because this is a sacred and even a sacramental time, we would ask that you would let these elements pass um, so that those who are in Christ can celebrate the Lord who they have believed in. Amen. Let's uh, get ready to celebrate communion right now. 